Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your host, Dodd Abernathy, Jeff Kopsetta, and Henry Sledge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. And we're happy to be back tonight, even though we're heading down the, uh, <laughs> the road for some of us to a crazy uh, week coming up. But we're all back, happy to be together. Join us, as always, Mr. Henry Sledge. Henry, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing well. Good to be here with you guys, as and, always. And he's back. Once again, good time, friend, and all-around best co-host ever, Jeff Copsetta. Jeff, how are you doing, sir? Good. What do you mean I'm back? <laughs> <laughs> I think I was here last week. None of us were here last week. <laughs> or maybe it was, well, well maybe you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Doing good. This is going to be a fun episode. We yeah, got some, it is. <laughs> got some fun stuff to talk about, and the good news is I don't have a hurricane coming my way, so... There is that. Yeah, there's that. Some of us do, unfortunately. Yeah. Man, oh, man. We'll get into that in a bit. You know, I, I got to thinking about the hurricane and what's going on and how we can relate that to the show. And and I, I did a little quick research and came across something we'll talk about here shortly called uh, Typhoon Cobra. So we'll get into that a little bit. Bring it all home and bring back World War II. But, uh, Jeff, you were wanting to do a little uh, show and tell something we haven't done in a while. We used to have a little occasional thing where we would show off the new items that we got in our collections and things like that. And it's been a while. And so let's just kick it off that way and get started. Yeah, yeah. I thought that'd be kind of fun. Like you said, it's been a little bit. And, and you know me, I'm, I've always got something coming in. Um, and, you know, lucky for me, uh, and I hope every reenactor uh, has the same problem as me. My wife also thinks it's cool. <laughs> okay no you're one of the few <laughs> um so uh, i think you're second you, only you one of those wives <laughs> i think you're second only to the guy whose old lady shows up to the events so there's her and then there's your your wife and then there's the rest of us who is is that your, not your experience don and then there's the rest of us who, whose spouse is slightly embarrassed wishes to keep it on the down low and can't understand how you could possibly go out in public looking like that i think that's the rest of us but but yeah you're you're well, you're a, a she- She's right along with me. I mean, she's got her own uniforms and everything. So, no, she she's there. Um, but but more importantly, she really got bit by the bug here lately. Oh. And you know, the last time we were together, uh, we were singing the praises of the new um, League of Their Own Netflix series, if you recall. <laughs> and so you had to take out another mortgage on your house because now she's in the living history as well. Oh, man. So yeah, the first. Sorry, thing kids. You uh, your college fund's gone. Mom needed a authentic. Uh, Right. Rockford Peach outfit. So, uh, which one of you are not going to college? <laughs> right. Or which one of you can we sell on eBay? Uh, no. So this. So in like the last, I want to say two weeks, this is the third oh, baseball wow. mitt nice. that we have had come in the mail. That is pre nineteen fifty. Um, she she found a really nice one, uh, and, and you probably saw that one in my Foot Locker for my Air Corps impression, and it was a lighter color you know, leather, uh, it's forties. Mm-hmm. Then she found one that, that dates to the 1920s, Wow, which was super cool. Um, it's going to make you sick to hear what she paid for it. Well, that's uh, cool in two different categories. Cause a it's, it's historic for us, but baseball fans who could care less about world war two or the forties, but Ooh, that's, that's sweet. That's technology advancement. Right. Right. And I want to say she found that for like $9 free shipping. Don't you love when you like, find people who don't know what they have? Oh, no, it, it it was just they're just dumping the collection. Yeah. 
they, they fully well knew what they had just just dumping it and then i was like well well babe like what the heck she's like well just so you know these are mine how much was it jeff <laughs> these are mine. The, the 1920s was like nine dollars and change like 10 bucks Good lord <laughs> yeah. wow and that's so, with inflation now hold up for those watching at home or those listening at home um i haven't experienced a true to form original but i have played with the reproduction version of those and if you think you're just going to go out into the outfield and catch pop flies one-handed you're fooling yourself the way those gloves are you're doing the scoop and catch there is you're not closing that thing like a clamshell or like a tortilla it's basically just padding you have to use both hands or you are not catching that ball it's that's yep and that's the first thing I noticed kind of playing with it. I was doing this. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Falling out. <laughs> well, no, hey, it just, it hurts. Yeah. Does it make yeah. you want to go watch 12 o'clock high? I watch that all the time anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just watches movie. it with a baseball mitt on. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I, I, so we, uh, the, I watched the series. I mean, yeah, I have the movie, but I, I love the series. Mm-hmm. Um, when did the series so come I don't out? I know that I'm not familiar with the series. Oh my goodness. You need to familiarize yourself. So they only ran it for three seasons, and uh, it ran from, I want to say, 64 to 66. Season okay. three is in color, um, and it still comes on. Uh, I can't remember the, the name of the channels, like Heroes and Icons. It comes mm-hmm. on Saturday. So Saturday night, they'll do like Combat, Rat Patrol, um, yes. Black, Black Sheep Squadron. Yeah. And then twelve o'clock high every what? Saturday night. I mean, for gosh, for years. What years now. did you say? I want to say it was 64, 65, and sixty six. And this is a channel now that you, the current channel. Yeah, it's called Heroes and Icons. I think it channel. depends on your your provider. Yeah, because okay. like I don't even yeah. get what used to be called the military. I don't even get military channel on my TV. It's like a paid for package to get the right, American Heroes either. Network. They call it now, but. Yeah. Believe Heroes, it or not, I'm jot that now. believe it or not, only ran for one season, 1964 to 65. <clears throat> That's season one. Oh yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah. right. 66. Yeah. No, it ran all the way up to 67. So no, you're you're absolutely right on that. Oh okay, yeah, they they overlap. I still think it's only three total seasons. Um, the first one, uh, I can't think of the the guy. Uh, Robert Lansing is, is the main guy, and they kind of knock him off at the end of the season and it's not real clear if he crashes whatever but he's he's just out and i don't know what happened there but then the actor paul burke took the the lead or as colonel gallagher and he was kind of a like a co-star in the first um uh first season but then colonel gallagher takes command of uh the 918th because, you know, the movie they could get away with it, Gregory Peck's character, but to have a one-star general that's flying B-17s every episode, yeah, I think, I think they kind of ran out of material there. So Paul Burke was a full bird that comes up, and he takes over the 918th, and he's just a great leader. I mean, the way they, they cast him, his character, um, the, the, the script writing is really good because almost every single episode, you will see that it's stuff that really happened. What? You know, some of it obviously is stretched because it didn't all happen to the one bomber. <laughs> well, but the n- nice thing it's is it's a lot of historical reference. Well, the nice thing is too is that it's it's, it's in sixty five, so there's a high likelihood that half the writers and actors either served or were over there and dealt with it for semi first hand, and so right that definitely right. goes to help with you know the authenticity and all that stuff. 
So, yeah, I, I watch I try to look, at least watch one or two episodes a week when I can. That's about the only TV I get to watch. But so, yeah, she uh, my wife bought those first two. And I was like, babe, I, I mean, you're not even right handed. She has two right handed gloves. And I'm like, what the heck? I got like, well, These are mine. These are mine. These are for display. I'm like, well, find me one. So, yeah, it was only a day or so later. She found me this one. And I, I want to say she paid less than 60 bucks for this. And, gotta get her on the on the yeah uh, ran the uh ran the patent date on it and it was patented i want to say she said it was in 1939 so the beautiful part about that is it just said 1940s mitt well i can do pearl harbor impression all the way to late war because it's patented in 39 this could very well have been worn by a service member you know in 1940 41 so you know what i'm um, hearing henry say again you know what i'm hearing what? If those of you at home are having a hard time finding an affordable piece of historical artifact, email us at mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. Tell us what it is and what your budget is, and we'll happily forward it to Jeff's wife, who apparently has her thumb on the antiques market, <laughs> and she will happily locate the item for you within your budget. That's mail call at WTSPWorldWar2.com. Attention, Jeff's wife. <laughs> Jeff, tell her I want an A2 flight jacket size 42. We're still working on that. Um, <laughs> and that, yeah, that actually, that segues into one other thing. I've, I've got three things to talk about and then I'll, then I'll let you. Hold on before you segue, before you segue, since we're, it's yeah. kind of air core. I, I, I was at an event last year before I blew my boot out and I forgot somebody's getting out of the hobby and they like gave me a pair of khaki trousers and I'd forgotten all about it. And I have a May West vest and I got a Marine Corps stuff. So I'm one khaki shirt and a, head gasket away from doing like a marine corps pilot impression so all i but i can't find the reproduction versions of that style of the the cloth because they didn't wear the leather ones they wore the the khaki cloth ones i can't yeah the m450 i can't find those things anywhere i found some like posts where somebody made a run of them like 15 years ago so if anybody has an idea where you can find one of those for my Uh, big melon about a seven and a half (laughs) i'm one i actually have a repro m450 really yeah i got it um Oh man, I, I got it a many, many years ago. Um, I'll I'll try to remember where I got it from, and, and a repro pair AN sixty five thirty goggles too. Because if I can get one of those, we have air shows down here, and there's usually a, a Corsair or something cool down there. And yeah. my buddy Mike did it one year. And all you need is the khaki shirt, the life preserver, the boondockers, and the and the trousers, and a pair of and I have the gloves too for my airborne impression. So like I'm just yeah. one one shirt and a a head dress away from having that impression done so what was the yeah. next thing you're going to hop on to you need to work on that yeah so uh a 42 jacket so uh buddy of mine and we've had him on the show before and 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 don you uh, if our listeners would go back uh we you did a real nice um memorial to his father mm-hmm. who had passed away with the with the world war ii field kitchen so his son, Brandon, like I said, is a good buddy of mine. Um, like I said, just stuff just has been coming at me. I mean, you guys know that it was like 218 books got dumped on me a week or two ago. Now we've got baseball gloves coming in the mail every day and <laughs> all this stuff. And then uh, I think this was Saturday. Uh, he he texted me. He goes, hey, dude, uh, would you want one of these? It was a World War II vet that had this made custom made. And it, one was given to Brandon. One was given to his brother. His brother, for whatever reason, didn't want it. So you're probably, these are probably a one-off. not going to find these anywhere else. It's an M42 jacket, but it's leather. What? Dude, 
It is the coolest looking jacket I've ever seen. I mean, an M42. Yes, and what? this it was a World War II vet that had it custom made. Now, like I'm Air- assuming, not during the war. This is not something, but yeah. it, it. But it looks like a 42 jacket. It's got the 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 belt and buckle, the four pocket. I was going to say, like, Airborne M42? Yes, yes. The Airborne M42 top, but it's brown leather. It's got a, from a distance, though, it's got to kind of look like a World War I German, like, pilot. Yeah, you. From a distance. I was about to say, you could do a Colonel Clink with that. (laughs) You could do a Red Baron with that. I mean, it's got That's still badass. We don't get yeah. super cold down here, so just kind of like a light jacket, something that's cool looking, nice fitting. I can't wait. I oh. can't wait to have this thing. Um, and then last uh, is I've had this watch face for quite some time. It, it is post war, um, but it's one of those things. It's kind of a it's kind of a close enough. Um, but I never had a watch strap for it, and I found a guy. Lo and behold, about thirty miles from where I was born in New Jersey. I couldn't believe. It. I was like, really? That's where this guy is. Uh, he's a big military collector, and he has about eight still in the package original um, uh, wrist watch bands, wow. the canvas bands mm-hmm. for the old Air Corps time hacks. So there it is. Now, again, this is an A17. This is not the A11 that I so badly want, but don't care to pay $1,000 for a watch. You know, it's, um, it's crazy. I have one of those Chinese uh, infantry watches. And my cat knocked off the counter one time and broke the uh, crystal on it, which looks great because it looks like it broke during shock or whatever. But I was at Target of all places, and it's not it's not one hundred percent accurate. But I'm looking at the thing. I'm like, man, if you're in a pinch and you were in Target, it has the Odie Green uh, webbing strap, it has the black face, and it does have the glow in the dark um, dials on it. But the the face itself is slightly different. But I'm like, from a distance, man, that thing could pass as a World War II watch, and it's at Target for like twenty bucks. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, technically, I could wear this with my Vietnam impression, but I mean, who's going to look at the back of my watch face? And I'm sure there's a way to tell the difference between the A11 and the A17. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not sure if I care that much. No. <laughs> We're really getting nitpicky. So that's just some of the stuff. And this guy has, like I said, he's got like eight of these watch bands. Beautiful. And it's and he said, man, he said he's it's the most he's ever seen in one place, and he bought them and. Like I said, they still come. There's a little piece of cardboard that they're that they're attached to, and a little slip. I mean, it's Dan. You step back in time with it for sure. You know, I don't want to sound like that old guy says oh, they don't make things the way they used to, but they do not make things the way they used to. When I got my Boondockers ten years ago, now mm. I went on to eBay and got a pair of new old stock, never issued World War II Boondockers shoelaces that were treated. And those things have been through water. I've done landings on them. I've walked through, and they still—they're still holding up. They're better than any of the the just modern day shoelaces that come in these boots. <laughs> they're the perfect length and everything, and they they stand up. And like these damn shoelaces were like seventy five years old before I even put them on my boots, and they still stand up better than anything that because it's the chemicals we can't use anymore because the damn environmental laws, but. <laughs> They, they just yeah. it's just the weirdest thing like that old stuff you know i'm looking at a you know i took a picture a while back of my uh peanut dispenser i forgot i had in here up on my um cabinet over here i got like a i tried to date it it's so old that the the um canteen in it it's a um old school blue collar worker um lunch pail with the um the soup holder in it 
the thing is sold. It comes with a cork in it. <laughs> I think I dated it like to the mid 1900s. That's one yeah. of the cooler things I have in here. But I've that never, cool. I've never seen a thermos with a cork in it. That's how old the damn I, thing is. Yeah, I, uh, I actually have two of those. They're uh, Stanley made them. Um, I think it's the same Stanley that like makes tools and tape measures and stuff now. I want to say. Um, and I, uh, uh, gosh, I don't even remember where I got them now. I gave one away to, uh, I gave one to one of my colleagues whose dad, I mean, whose, uh, uncle was shot down, uh, flying B-24s over Germany. And I gave him a, it, you know, it's the same thermos, like what they use for the air core. Yeah. This is a thermos brand, but yeah, it yeah. has a, has a cork in the top. Yep. Flash it's just, line. that's a little bit smaller than what you see the air core use. Like mine's like a big green or sometimes they were blue. And you have to be careful because if the cork isn't seated all the way, and I know this because I did this, I, I, I experienced this, I screwed up. If the cork isn't all the way down in there and you go to screw your little cap on your, your, your cup, mm-hmm. um, because you're threading it on and the, and the cork is pushing against it, you can split that metal really easy. Oh, and sure. I did. I, I split mine just Look a little cool bit. That That's really it. cool, man. Yeah. That's really cool. Every Wait, once in a while, is that done? this is an old school. This is what your grandfather, or your great grandfather took to the construction site or to the factory for lunch. It's a yeah. lunch pail. It's a thermos brand lunch pail. There's no year on it, but there is a patent number. And I think the last time I looked, it's roughly about 1915, 1920. Wow. wow. Nice. Just yeah. one of those things. I found it at a thrift store. I put it, I mean, an antique store, I put it in here and, you know, after a while, we all have so much crap in such a confined area, you forget half the stuff you have until one of you just slowly looking. Oh, yeah, I got that cool-ass thermos up there or that lunch pail or things like that. And I have to remind myself every once yeah. in a while to sit back and enjoy what we actually have instead of keep looking for more. But, you know, that's all part of the disease. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, guys, I'm looking. I am in the market for something, and I wanted to bring it up tonight because I'm kind of curious. Um I need to. I need some new pinks trousers, right? For my air core, my, my pinks and greens. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it kind of dawned on me here recently that the the United States Army currently went back to I don't whatever they call it. They're not mm-hmm. allowed to call it pinks and greens. Whatever the heck, um, I, dude. I want to reenlist just so I can wear that uniform. It's beautiful, right? It's funny when that uniform came out. There was active duty guys who were in the position where they were encouraged to wear those and they're talking about how expensive they were i'm thinking yeah that's about what we pay for all of our world war ii era reproduction right. stuff so we feel your pain yeah 200 dollars for a jacket that sounds about right yeah but I'm i don't know curious. if it's the same I, shade to answer your question i don't know if the pink is going to be the exact same shade or not i yeah i doubt it i mean is it going to be close enough i mean i know that a lot of the re um oh what's the word i'm looking re- for reproduction? Not, not necessarily repro but um, I know like World War II impressions, they buy from just down the road from me at Texas A&M from their core cadets. Cause the core wears the, I think the, the company is called flying cross, hmm. which I think is who the army is using for their stuff. Well, I think the um, only difference you may run into is zipper length. Does that make sense? You're going you're gonna to measure my, my zipper, Don, for me? No, well, what I mean is, obviously, <laughs> back then, the trousers were designed to wear underneath your damn nipples, unlike to where we wear them <laughs> nowadays with the waistband. And so all the trousers, if they're correct reproduction, they got like 17-inch long zippers on yeah. them. Yeah, I got original khakis that are yeah, like, because you, you've got to start all the way. <laughs> because the crotch oh, of the pants actually... Pants up so high. 
Well, yeah. yeah, that's why you don't have a choice. They're not doing it because they're old. That's how they wore their the clothes. Like my my wool trousers, my all my reproduction, the zippers on them like seventeen inches they long. Are. And if you if you wear those trousers like you do modern day jeans with just the slightest yeah. sag, you will rip the crotches out of them. You have to pull them some bitches up and yeah. wear them above your belly button because that's how they were designed. They're almost like zoot suits. <laughs> you got to loosen your your you tie. Take a leak. <laughs> you do. Like the Bing Crosby pants. <laughs> exactly. But that's true. That is true. Suit, I, I'll have to I'll I've have to pull my wools out and, and measure the zipper. I swear to God, they got to be seventeen inches long, and the pockets yeah. are super deep too. Oh yeah, that's true. Yep, because you do. That's if you wear those things around your waist like we do, you will rip the crotches out of them. So here's a question: If you don't pull them up, if you mm-hmm. don't rack them up to do like you're talking about, Don. Would it make you look like an inmate? Like they're about to exactly. fall off. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, and that's where it gets to be hard. Um, they make reproduction um, combat suspenders, most commonly seen with the airborne trousers and the P forty three pants. Didn't wear them too much in the regular uh, wools. But the problem is they get twisted. But the thing is, they're so much more comfortable because you have to wear your pants so damn high. If you just rely on that mm. belt, you're cinching it down so damn yeah. tight that if you're out there doing a weekend-long event or a multi-day event, and if you change at night, you'll start getting like rashes and wear marks. So it's easier to wear the suspenders. But, yeah, it's 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 the truth. And if you want to get it done correctly, what happens is you go to the tailor, you hike them some bitches up like your great-grandfather, they, they hem them, and then when they start to sag and you're stepping on your heels, and so you got to pull them up. Yeah. The I only mean, people I, who I can get away. If I'm if I'm wearing them, I'm probably wearing my A2 or the the dress jacket. You know, oh. that's going to cover all of it anyway. I was going to say the only two real impressions you can get away with sagging is the ragged ass Marine and the P41s because they all lost so much weight the ship fell off them anyhow, and the Army's HBTs. You can and plus you have leggings oh, on, right. and so when you you can sag those a little bit because the same thing. This guy's just. But especially when it comes like class A, class Bs, or any of that stuff, no, you got to hike those things up like like your Mister Burns. That's 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 the way they're designed. And it's it's hilarious. I'm literally I'll have to measure. I guarantee it's a 17 inch length of zipper. It has to be. Things yeah. like a foot and a half long. And just <laughs> well, like the original reproduction skivvies, they had the same long fly because you had right. to pull your skivvies up. Well, what would happen is modern day guys, your equipment would fall out of the hole. Because the fly was so long. And so like on some of the reproductions now, they they took the same fly and then they sewed up the bottom half so that while you're wearing them, your crap doesn't fall out and rub them on the inside of your pant because modern-day necessities need to be appended to the old stuff. But, yeah, it's those are the uncomforts people don't think about when you're doing World War II reenacting. I told you it's going to be a fun show tonight. There you go. <laughs> Behind me. Is a, is a window, and on the other side of this window is hurricane shutters. We'll get into a little bit more, but I spent, like, I don't know, I got the whole front of my house hurricaned up. I only have two windows in my sliders, but they're underneath the cover of my rear roof, so I'm not worried about it. Basically, they're just trying to keep a missile from flying through your window, so. Right. But, uh, Henry, you got anything on your uh, your list of stuff to talk about before we get into the hurricane talk and all that good stuff? Oh, man, I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's just... Uh... I'm just enjoying the conversation, man. I'm, um, I'll throw this out there, guys. I've well, Jeff will catch it. Huh? <laughs> Jeff will catch it. Yeah. So, Jeff, uh, well, both of you, have, have you guys heard of the author, the British author, historian James Holland? Yeah. 
No, off the top of my head, no. Obviously, the last name sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you well, any not, of this. Not our buddy Dave Holland yeah. who's been on here talking about Guadalcanal. I'm James Holland, a British military historian. He's written, God, I don't know how many books, Jeff. He's written one. I've just, <clears throat> I just got his book called Big Week about, obviously, Big Week. Can't wait to get stuck into that. And also, well... I'll do. We're not talking about books yet, but right. very prolific author. Okay, um, mostly European ETO stuff. Obviously, he he and a guy named Al Murray have a podcast called "We Have Ways of Making You Talk" pod te- podcast. And I discovered that, and I've just been binge listening to that at work. I've been binge listened to like seventy eight episodes. Wow. Mostly it's ETO, but they do, they do some some Pacific stuff too. But I mean, the guy's a prolific author, man. He he is just a great podcast. And it's just, you know, it's just making me just wallow in my love of all this stuff. Um, but uh, anyway, just throwing that out there. Well, that, you know, talking about great podcasters, I'll, I'll kind of let you all in on what I was supposed to be doing yesterday. Um, I... Uh, I, I caught wind about Freddie Joe and Scott Gibson and the history chick and everybody coming down to San Antonio for an event over the weekend. And I had just sent something to uh, Scott Gibson to, for him to sign. I, I sent him uh, one of my Marine Corps helmet covers and uh, just to see if, you know, if he could just sign one of the, the mm-hmm. inside flaps. Cause I told him, I said, I, I do wear this for an impression. So I got to be able to tuck, tuck the signature up, you know, but I thought it'd be really cool if he could sign. And I sent up some other stuff for him to keep, you know? And, um, so when I found out, he goes, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, San Antonio in like a week, I'm like, what, mm-hmm. you know, I live like an hour and a half from San Antonio. So reached out to Freddie Joe and same thing. He goes, yeah, man. He said, well, Scott has to go back on Saturday, but he said, if you're free on Sunday, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll link up. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. You know, I, to, to be able to just hang out with Freddie Joe and, and actually meet History Chick in person and anybody else who was going to be down there would have been amazing, uh, would have been, because I spoke a little too soon. I, I didn't look at my calendar. Whoops. And uh, like, a, like a good little volunteer, you know, I had signed up to, to work uh, my museum, <laughs> not my museum, but the one I'm supposed to be directing. So kind of need to lead by example sometimes. And, uh, I'd signed up for my slot on Sunday and I went, well, shoot. <laughs> yeah. I saw yeah. Mitch. I'm, you know, I'm friends with him on Facebook as I'm sure you guys are too. And he had posted a picture of him and Scott Gibson and Sarah and Freddie Joe at that whiskey and something that, that, yeah. that the thing they were doing. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I saw that, you know. Yeah, that yeah, was right down the road, dang it. But it is what it is. We'll we'll all get together somehow, some way. But uh I'm excited to get my helmet cover back from from Scott. Man, let me tell you, you don't just mail something to Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how that worked. <laughs> I had to assign a value to everything that I was sending him, yeah. including the piece of paper, the letter that I wrote. really, I see. I don't think I've I've shipped oh. a lot of things overseas over the last year, couple of years. One through the podcast, and I would sell the occasional thing on eBay that would end up over there. But I don't think I've sold anything in Canada where I've had to declare my major on every facet of what was in there. Because I just went to my local post office. Like I didn't go oh, FedEx. Or whatever. Like I just went to the post office. Oh. I didn't. I didn't really think like, oh, you need to fill all this out. You know, okay, you know. And all, all this rigmarole, and then at the end of the day, I was like, 
I, I sent Scott a message. I was like, dude, um, take your time mailing that back because it's like pretty counterproductive to send this kind of money just to send this back to me. Like if you're going to be in the area, let me know and put it in another mailbox or something and ship it to me. Cause man, oh man, I had no clue, but eh, that's just some of the stuff. I'm not real smart on some of that stuff, you know? So for those Wait. y'all listen, go ahead, Henry. No, I was just going to say, Jeff, remember when we, when you guys first invited me to be a part of the show, I think I sent you a print. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don, did I send you one too? No. All right. I didn't bring it up, but no. Well, I, I probably got Aww. one back here. I probably got one back there. I can see. A little dusty, you. kind of brittle around the edges. No. But find it no, no. No. Anyway, I, I had, so I sent another one to Layton. And oh, I'm thinking, it's oh, number three. Man. Now I'm number three. Uh, well, he's, oh, he's not done yet. I might be number five by the time this story is. Go ahead. I was just getting ready. What where I was going with that? I should have just kept my mouth shut. Was to send something to England, you know, in a post or two uh-huh. is ridiculously expensive. I think I sent the shirt over there, <laughs> but yeah. Um, it's, but no, Don. If I didn't, I can't remember. I know I sent Jeff one, but I'll now Jeff. I'll Jeff, say, hey, look what Henry sent me. I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> I'll look and see. Hey, I will look and see what I've got. I've got one I can send you. I'm sure. Fantastic! I'll, I'll prominently display it, here in the studio. It'll be a postcard. This thing. No, it won't either. <laughs> here, by God, we're going to figure this out. Let me just ask you: Do you do you have the Marine Corps <laughs> clip that I sent you on your desk right now? Do what? <laughs> Nothing. While, while wait, I know what you said. Hang on. Uh, look at that! Look at that! It's with the challenge coins. Beautiful. And a picture of my dad. Oh, and that's fantastic! Thing he cut off a Jap's uniform and so. <laughs> Japanese, excuse me, I shouldn't say Jap. No, it's 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 historical context. It works. Just like if I could technically I could smoke a lucky strike non filter, no one could say a goddamn thing about it. While uh Henry's rummaging through his house on his make good with me. Um for those of you who don't know, I am in southwest Florida and as of three hours ago, my house was in the cone of uncertainty, but my office where I worked at wasn't. But luckily, I put up my hurricane shutters because in the last three hours, the storm has come closer west, and now all the Fort Myers and Cape Coral are in the cone. And as of right now, Hurricane Ian is 100 miles per hour. Um, I'm not freaking out. This is going to be my seventh hurricane I think I've survived through. Um, but the only thing we're a little concerned about is if it hangs a hard right like Hurricane Charlie did. That's when we got our ass kicked. But nothing was worse than Hurricane um, Irma. Yeah, Irma. I was without power for six and water for 16 days because my neighbor couldn't be bothered to trim his tree. It broke to his power pole and caused a back circuit to chain through the neighborhood. And we kept calling the power company and kept calling. They would never come fix. And at the time, I worked on radio. So, like, after day 16, I got pissed and said, hey, if somebody could come disconnect the pole from my neighbor's house, you can restore power to 78% of the damn neighborhood. And one of the guys was listening. They came and did that. And so hopefully we just get a rain event. Sadly, is they're thinking there might be some storm surge. I've already seen videos out of Key West where water's coming up. I've seen some canals in Cape Coral where water's coming up. But I'm out in the inland. I won't have to worry about flooding. But if we do see some minor flooding, I got three kayaks. So I'm good with that. So anyhow, I'm looking at a hurricane coming down. Not a big deal. No big news. But I got to thinking, how could we relate this to World War II? And I remembered... Reading some of the books on the Pacific, there was some minor mention of some tropical storms and this and that during some of the combat, some of the uh, bonsai charges and all that. 
And so I got to looking in tropical storms and hurricanes, and I came across Typhoon Cobra. Jeff, are you familiar with Typhoon Cobra? I'm in, I'm familiar with Operation Cobra. Nope. How about <laughs> you, Henry? Typhoon. He's digging through his recycle bin, see if he can find you a gift. <laughs> no, Don, do you want this right here? Absolutely. Yeah, that's not oh, as that's cool beautiful. as the one he sent me. Oh, no, but that's, that's beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I'll take that for sure. This has a couple signatures on it. If you want the only dick not wearing a WPS I, I was a consultant for this artwork. No, I'll, I'll take it. Slap my name on it, put this it on guy, a tube, and snail mail it to me. It's got about five veteran signatures on it. Beautiful. I'll take it. It came out on the Pacific. Came a bit, but Jeff got a good one, too. So Yeah, I know. He, uh, he sent me. We already had that he, one. He sent my, me, my son has yes, that one in that's his right. room. You told me that. You already yeah. had that. That's off the beach. I sent you yep. off the line or something. Yes, the with the Corsairs. Yes, sir. All right. So, Don, I will sir. send this to you. Fantastic. Leftovers. And I'll have it framed. <laughs> Jeff, don't beat me up here, man. I'm trying to take care of, my, of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, Operation Cobra, no, Typhoon Cobra, also known as t the Typhoon in 1944, or how do you guys pronounce it, William Bull? Is it Hazley? Halsley? Halsey? Halsey. Halsey. Or yeah. also known as Typhoon Halsey, named after Admiral William Bull Halsey. So the United States Navy um, designated was the designation for the, the powerful typhoon slash cyclone that struck the United States Pacific fleet in December 1944. Now, here's where it gets crazy. The amount of damage that this damn typhoon did to Task Force 38. Um, now, I'm reading this directly off Wikipedia. I, I don't didn't do a whole lot of memorization of the stuff, so we're just going to read it in real time. On December 17th, the typhoon was first observed by the United States 3rd Fleet as it was refueling. The United States Air Force Forecast Center on Saipan sent a reconnaissance flight and found that the storm was heading towards the fleet with an estimated wind of 160 miles per hour. So 60 miles an hour more than the hurricane we're dealing with right now. As it was heading towards the fleet, barometric pressure was as low as 27.3 HG. I have no idea what that means. Um, and was reported by the USS Dewey. But some ships' barometric pressure were estimated to be lower than 27. Now, here's the damage that this typhoon typhoon um, caused to Task Force 38. Planes were sent adrift, uh, collided and burst into flames on the, Mon on the Monterey, caught fire at 9-11. So the, the hurricane swells were so bad that the planes on the Monterey slid and hit the bulkhead and the gas tanks on them erupted. Um, let's see. They lost their... Uh, let's see. They lost their... Steerage way for a few minutes later, the fire miraculously was brought under control at 9.45 by the CO, Captain Stuart H. Um, Wellesley decided to let his ship lay dead in the water until temporarily repairs could be um, affected. She lost 18 aircraft that burnt in the hangars. Some of them went overboard, and 16 of them were seriously damaged. Together, there was three 20-millimeter guns that suffered a, um, extensive rupturing, um, also she had rupturing to her ventilation system. Um, let's see here. Sorry. I'm jumping all around here. The USS Tabard, a small John C. W. Butler class destroyer escort lost her main mass and radio antennas through the dam. Though the damage was un though damaged and unable to radio for help. The ship remained on the scene and recovered 55 of the 93 total sailors that were rescued from the capsized ships. Um, let's see here. Multiple uh, other vessels sank. I think there was, let me tell you the total loss. 
No, 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 no. Sorry. Printed media, references. I just had all this stuff. Fleet was scattered by the storm. Okay, picked up 14 men, 41 men from the Hulu and 14 from the Spence before the, uh, finally returning. Yeah, this whole thing just fell apart on me. <laughs> I was reading this before the show. Um, oh, okay, here we go. Um, USS Hull was 70% of fuel aboard, capsized and sank with 202 men who drowned, 62 survived. The USS Monaghan capsized and sank with 265 men who drowned, 6 survived. USS Spence... Um, Rudder jammed, hard to starboard, capsized, sank with 317 men who drowned, 23 who survived. Um, another vessel sank and lost another twenty, uh, another 63 men. So the amount of damage that this typhoon, it, it, let's see, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, about 25 vessels were damaged and eight of them had sank and lost over 700 men altogether. And all that's from a single typhoon. And what do we got going on Henry's video up there? Look at the camera, Jeff. Never mind. Do I? <laughs> no, we just had a nice, interesting uh, video uh, camera angle. <laughs> was he showing us how long his fly was? Yeah, exactly. I think <clears throat> it was about 13 and a half inches. But yeah, so the, the um, Task Force 38 took on a bunch of damage lost a bunch of men all because of this typhoon that they you just said, go ahead I'm, I'm sorry the, i heard the monaghan why I, I just capsized I and sank like, with 265 men drowned six survived what kind of ship was that uh open new tab I kind of jumped all around. The Monaghan was the last ship built from the uh, frigate class destroyer design. She was named. Also got in some trouble for that, didn't he? Yes. Was that after Battle of the Philippine Sea? It was right around the time. It was, let's see here, uh, December 17th. um, uh, Let me go down to. Yes, when I was reading it earlier, they were were outside of the Philippines doing um, artillery strikes. Okay. All right, guys. I know that was a lot of crazy video stuff, but Don, you're going to have a print coming your way. Looking forward to it. Um, To answer your question, Jeff, um, yes, the Monaghan was a DD-354, was the last ship built from the uh, Farragut, F-A-R-R-A-G-U-T, class destroyer design. and I was reading earlier, and I got all excited because a future president was involved in all this insanity. And that was... Um, Gerald Ford? Yes, Gerald Ford was in, mm. involved in this. I'm um, trying to read through it quickly. I was reading this before, and I saved all this stuff, but it's all over the place now. No, was it Ford? <laughs> yeah, I think it was Ford. <clears throat> yeah, here we go. Uh, the Cary Monterey was nearly taken down in flames by its own airplanes as they crashed into the bulkheads and exploded during violent rolls. One of those fighting the fires aboard the Mon- uh, Montgomery was Lieutenant Gerald Ford, later President of the United States. Uh, Ford later recalled nearly going overboard when a 20-foot or- and greater uh, rolling swell caused the aircraft below deck to uh, careen into each other, igniting the fires. Uh, Ford served as the general quarters officer of the deck. 
was ordered to go below and to assist in the raging fire. He did so safely and reported his findings back to the ship's commanding officer, Captain Stewart um, Erringsol. Uh, the ship's crew was able to contain the fire, and the ship was underway again. So, yeah, Gerald Ford was there fighting fires during this insanity. And wow. they're talking about the swells are so bad that some of these vessels, literally the, the catwalk down the uh, leeward side, was taking on, like, was making contact with the ocean. And these things are getting up like 30 degree, 40 degree rolls. The waves were so insane. Jeez. And I can only imagine I mean, those places weren't exactly luxury or comfort or had a whole lot of space and to begin with when they're upright, let alone rolling 30 and 40 degrees. Right. Let's see. The fleet was scattered by the storm. One ship, the destroy escort, uh, Tabir encountered and rescued a survivor from Hulu from, I'm sorry, from the hull while itself desperately fighting the typhoon. Uh, this was the first survivor from any of the capsized destroyers to be picked up shortly thereafter. Many more survivors were picked up in groups or in isolation. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Henry Lee Plague uh, directed the ships. Despite his own dire conditions, began he began to box search patterns to look for survivors. They eventually rescued fifty five of the fifty five survivors in fifty one hours. Despite repeated orders from the from Admiral Halsey to return um, to port, um, she picked up forty one men from the hull, fourteen from the Spence, before <coughs> finally returning uh, after being directed. And uh, continue, I'm sorry, after being relieved from the search by two other destroyers. So the amount, I mean, that typhoon probably caused more damage to a single fleet than probably a majority of the battles in the Pacific fleet during the entire war. So it's, and they're saying after, because of that, that is um, when we began to, um, actually start tracking hur- hurricanes and typhoons uh, to uh, help prevent more damage to the naval fleets. So- and, you know, when you mentioned uh, Gerald Ford, it kind of reminded me of a tidbit of, of information that I had never realized until uh, I was working at the National Museum Pacific War. And I know both you guys have been there. Um, the And for, for those who, who haven't, um, it's an amazing museum, so you have to go. Uh, but one of the exhibits is outside called the Plaza of the Presidents. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to think that we had 10 consecutive United States presidents that served in some capacity during World War II. And I say that in some capacity because they are counting FDR and Truman as commanders in chief, of course. But then after Truman, from Eisenhower to George Bush, uh, those eight presidents all serve in the military during World War II, which is really, really something. And I've said this before on my other podcast, you know, <clears throat> when it comes to politics of the last 20 years or so and all the insanity going on, it's like it seems like maybe some of those reasons are because we have less and less politicians who served in World War II and Korean War and even parts of you know the Vietnam conflict, I think the lack of discipline and understanding of world events, especially those who fought in World War II and the Korean War, I think those those men and even the women who served in capacity during those times, they understood the vulnerability and the value of maintaining freedom and maintaining you know a strong 
shadow, if you will, over the bad actors, quote unquote, that it helped keep peacetime and, you know, keep us kind of sorted out for a long time. And now we're, we have less and less of those people and more and more younger cats get in office who have no military background or no real knowledge of history. And I think you can definitely tell it. <laughs> in what's well, those going guys on. understood the meaning of true adversity, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, as well as everything you're saying. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And it's just now we have AOC who couldn't understand the complexities of a garbage disposal, but that's another time for another another comment for another time. But yeah, it's just uh all in all crazy. So fellas, what do you I know Jeff, I'm looking at that book behind your shoulder and I'm jealous. <laughs> Is that the seven thirty two web gear book? Uh yes, seven eighty two, yeah. Seven eighty two. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, I mean, I guess we'll talk about books. And I knew, you know, we always have our segment. Well, Don says it in some goofy, weird voice. Hey, what Jeff, what you read? What you read? <laughs> what you read? <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm still. Thanks for coming in. That's a moment. You know, to make sure everybody else gets a piece. Were you doing off? Were you doing office space? Yes. Bill told me I bet I could listen to the video. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I broke your bit, man. Yeah, um, Jeff. I'm what sorry, you're doing but, is much uh, more entertaining than what I was gonna say. Hello, Peter. Why is happening? Yeah, Jeff. Um, I'm gonna need you to work tomorrow, and uh, <laughs> yeah, if you can go ahead and uh, just plan on coming out on Sunday too. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, so, Henry, if yeah, you don't mind, uh, the I, Bobs need to see you, Henry. So um, when you're done with lunch, if you can go check in with the Bobs. I wasn't aware of a meeting with the Bobs. Well, Henry, yeah, they it's... called me at home. <laughs> Are we done? He starts, <laughs> he starts uh, gutting that fish. That's, oh, man. <clears throat> Sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. I mean, that's... So, well, well, before we get back to Jeff, if, if somebody ever came to your work and said, gee, looks like somebody has a case of the Mondays, <laughs> you get your ass kicked for saying I something like that. Punched in the throat. <laughs> no, Peter, that is a horrible thing. <laughs> On these conjugal visits, do you have sex with these women? I will do it. <laughs> Did you ever watch the... Henry, did you ever watch the old version of who line, Whose Line Is It Anyway before Drew Carey destroyed it? The original <sighs> version? Man, to be honest with you, I did not. The guy who played the hypnotherapist in that movie was a key role on this, one of the improv staff on the original uh, British version of Whose Line Is It Anyway. That's where I knew him really? from. Yep. I think he also played uh, Little John in um, Robin Hood. Hmm. But anyhow, back to Jeff's Sweet ass book and all things Marine Corps web gear. Seven eighty two. Yeah. Now now that all of our listeners have shut off our, our episode. <laughs> no, they're uh they're they're surfing uh, YouTube to find and see if office space is available. Pretty much. Yeah, there's gonna be a big spike on that now. Um so yeah, I you know, I'm still reading Beyond Bloody Ridge. Um I don't really want it to end. I've been kind of slowing down and, and I've had some other things come up where I'm not reading every night like I I'm reading, but I just can't read that book every night. Um, so, but I want to talk about something a little bit different. And I knew we were going to be talking about some uniforms and some different things. So I thought, man okay, zipper. I'll display this book. And if you don't have this book, it's okay. Because I don't even know what this thing goes for now. I have a um, rough idea. Um, go ahead. It's not a bit, yeah. It's sold out on Amazon. 
Okay. So you, you actually that's probably a good thing yeah. because you'll find it at a garage sale for 20 bucks, mm-hmm. hopefully. Um, but it's an incredible book. I've had numerous conversations with Harlan Glenn. The guy is just such a nice guy. Um, just so approachable. I, I never got to meet him in person, but uh, numerous emails and then some lengthy phone calls. Oh my goodness. I mean, we just, it, it's like hanging out with you guys, you know, he's just such a nice guy. So um, if you are like Don and you're all things Marine, uh, you have to have this book. Uh, I have learned so much. This was like a Bible because when I worked at the Pacific War Museum, um, I just like, I guess, naturally gravitated towards doing a Marine impression. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I decided like, it just felt weird. Like, what am I doing? And I have a whole army platoon coming off this LCVP and I'm, I'm just, you know, coming out of this rickety old Amtrak. Um, so I made up some excuse like, yeah, you army guys are, are screwed up. I'm going to shift focus over to you guys and square you away just so I could ride on the LCBP and wear a uniform I was more comfortable in. Um, but yeah, what do you got, Don? What have, what have you found out on that book? Um, right now you can get it on eBay if you're lucky. Low end, $65, high end, 92 bucks. Oh, oh that's not too bad. No. You can get it on Amazon. No, Amazon sold out. No, this book has been. Well, this book has actually come down in price over the last few years. Because when I first yeah. saw it about ten years ago, that thing was going for about one hundred twenty, hundred thirty dollars. So it's, yeah, it's come down in in the book market. But that is a, I mean, if you're a <laughs> stitch fanatic, let's just say, when it comes to uniforms, and you want to know everything, I mean, you want to know exactly which color the original first aid pouch was that came out post world war one until they started using the newer version if you want to know the difference between the cross flap and all the other yep. different canteen covers well, there were four everything. different versions of canteen covers the marine corps used during the war crazy and the cross flaps are the they kind of look the coolest but in yeah in practicality and in use especially when you have it over your butt cheek they are the hardest to get in and out of because inevitably when you go to put it in you're going to push the strap down and you got to pull it out then try it's it's a huge in real life it's a pain in the ass i could only imagine trying to the frustration of trying to use that thing when you've been laying out in the hot sun and and trying to survive all day and then you're frustrated your nerves are twerked you're you're trying to suck down as many lucky strikes you got a parched mouth and you're sitting there fighting that goddamn flaps on that stupid cross flap it would just drive me insane but you know i have a reproduction version of one and then they, uh, but yeah, that thing is like the end all be all. If you want to get your impression, like that'll tell you that, oh, the original Marine Corps leggings actually had the brass hooks. It wasn't until later that they were issued ones with the black hooks. So if you want to do Guadalcanal, you got to have the leggings with the brass hooks. If you're going to do New Britain or Peleliu, then you can get away with one wearing the ones with the black hooks. I mean, it's that, those, that stuff is so in depth. Indeed. But, uh, I, uh, Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm working something real quick. I'm I'm just sending you guys a, a few photographs of what I've been talking about tonight, if you, in case you want to throw it on the website. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, for those of us, or for those of you maybe that are starting in the hobby, I, I think that's important um, because that's I, I kind of did things backwards. I kind of went with what I thought I knew based on you know the the movies i've watched as a kid and what i wanted to do and what i wanted to reenact and then then kind of came around and went oh i'm i'm like about as ate up as a soup sandwich um you know i'm i'm, I'm jacked up as as it gets so 
that's a fair price for from 60 to, to oh, 90 absolutely. bucks. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's a great investment. And, uh, and like I said, Harlan Glenn did an amazing job. When you go through this book, you're going to have actual photographs of what he's talking about. You're mm-hmm. going to have uh, color, you know, modern uh, reenactors dressed up uh, showing every little thing that he's talking about. So you not only see, um, you know, the actual photograph, you, you see what it's really supposed to look like color right now. This is how your uniform should look, uh, which is interesting because you learn a lot that way too. Like, well, this doesn't look like what's in the picture. And then as you kind of get an eye for it, like, oh yeah, that's, that is what that is at, you know, Wow. So I, I don't think a lot of people realize that the suspenders were actually part of the Harrisack. When, when you have the bottom mess kit on and you have it done right, the suspenders are actually holding that damn thing together. Right. right. I mean, they are not in suspender mode. They are pretty much helping support all that stuff. And like yeah. when I was doing my impression, I would get a World War II impression because they would have a picture of the pack on the mannequin with the full the belts going through and that's basically where I would learn. But I know so many, so many guys who have this book and it's just, uh, it's kind of been one that I've been wanting to get my hands on for the longest time. So congratulations on you for having that one. But, uh, what are you reading, Henry? Well, I finished up, um, Guadalcanal or Richard Frank. I had to really bear down and get that 628 pages done because, as, as we've talked about, guys, you know, the weather's cooling off. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ready to start reading some Normandy ETO B-17 stuff, you know. But with the International Conference coming up in November, I'm even though I reviewed the manuscript and made suggestions all that, I'm, I'm reading the actual copy that Saul sent me of Devil Dogs um, and, and making some notes on some things for our panel with Rich. But when I'm done with that, I was mentioning James Holland – so mm-hmm. in addition to his book, Big Week, I got, can y'all see that okay or is it? No, it's good. Looks okay. good. Normandy 44? Yep. yep. So this is a pretty pretty good size book he did on Normandy 44. Um, I'm going to jump into that next when I'm done with Devil Dogs. So really looking forward. And James Holland, man, there's he's got a whole slew of books that I want to get. There's also another British historian named Peter Caddick Adams who's just written a trilogy. Oh, yeah. You've heard of Caddick Adams? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have this uh, Snow and Steel. Yes. Okay, I just got yeah. Snow and Steel. Yeah. Just got it. So when I'm done with Normandy 44 by James, I want to get – Yes, it's, it's, ma- it's massive. <laughs> so Andy's done, you know, Sand and Steel, which ironically, he, that is the latest one. Snow and Steel was the first one. And then Fire and Steel is his, the third of the trilogy dealing with, you know, the last – So. I'm I'm really looking forward to reading Normandy 44 and then Snow and Steel and and then then I'll get the other two by Caddick Adams, but man James Holland there's a whole slew of books by him I want to get, and I think his book on B selling Big Week will be really good, yeah. Jeff I'm sure you would love it. Yeah. So I'll I'll dive into that one too. But but anyway right now I'm about halfway through Devil Dogs, um, and so you know I just want that fresh in my mind going into the panel. So. Right. Yeah, I'm just trying. It's been so hectic and crazy around here over the last two weeks with nonsense going on that I haven't had much time for leisure reading. But I'm just I'm finishing up my I don't know fourth or fifth read of Helmet from My Pillow that I'm going to switch over to um, the book I talked about last week. But I did buy a copy of the book that Jeff was reading, um, and so I'm I'm going to hop onto that one here soon. Um, last week before we 
canceled the show, I was going down a rabbit hole on on a on topic that I thought maybe you guys knew a lot about, which I don't because it's aviation based. Do you know you guys know a lot about the PBY? Uh, Not it a was lot. Very very important picking up downed airmen. I know that much. Yeah, we won't Did go great in. service at Guadalcanal and it, it yeah all all over, over the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. D- do a. Do like a uh, cliff note study on it. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit next week because I found some cool in- information on. It. We won't go into it tonight, but just to just to give you just one of the cool things. So the company who designed the PBY, one of the guys involved, one of the uh, owners or creators, if you will, is Major Ruben Fleet. Now, if his name sounds familiar at all, if you aviation buffs, Major Ruben Fleet was the pilot that Woodrow Wilson introduced and personally thanked. He was the very first pilot to go on the very first flight of the United States Postal Airmail System. Hmm. So he, he his days in piloting went back so far that he was the pilot in the first letter flown across the country as part of the United States Airmail System. Um, but I was reading up on the PBY, and, and other than the picking up downed airmen, the amount of things that this damn vessel did, this this plane, is staggering. So maybe you guys want to do just a cursor research on it. We'll get into it next week, and uh, it's always fun to talk about some new stuff. But, yeah, check out the PBY, and we'll, we'll get into that next week a little bit, if you guys don't mind. I think uh, you'll be sure. pretty interesting on the amount of stuff involved. In, for example, it was one of the first aircraft that – was designed for the wings to be put on after construction for no more reason other than they didn't have the floor space at the warehouse, <laughs> at the factory. So like, hey, let's put the wings on outside. So they actually built them from the ground up and designed them that the wings would be attached outside. And once again, the, the lack of footprint on the, the factory floor, you know how they test the water seal capacity? Because obviously these things are flying boats. They needed to test to make sure they were sealed up and uh, wouldn't leak. You know how they would go to test that? You would think maybe they'd put it in a pool or something, but once again, they didn't have the floor space. So, I mean, it only makes sense that, well, if you want to keep water out... Fill it with water? See if it leaked? Exactly. They would fill the damn things up completely with water yeah. and see if they leaked from the inside. And get the obviously, if they don't leak from the inside, they wouldn't leak from the outside. But yeah. So we'll get into the PBY next week, assuming that uh, we have a show if if I don't lose power this room. You, you may need a PBY in. to get to the show next week. Yeah, I got three kayaks. We'll be good. But uh, go. when are you guys expecting major problems done? Let's see here. I'm um, looking at the tracker right now. Um, do, 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 do. Last time I heard, it's going to be here tomorrow night, Wednesday morning for us. Now, like I said, see, the crazy thing about hurricanes, living in a hurricane area is like me saying, hey, Jeff, a week and a half from now, you may or may not get jumped and punched in the face on your way to work. (laughs) You mean it's like our rain chances here. Yeah. It could happen any day, but probably not. But see, our tornadoes in Alabama. Yes, but when you turn on the weather channel to see if they're – tornado was coming well obviously they're instantaneous here's one of the th- here's one of the thing that drives me nuts okay the weather channel is just as bad as any media outlet right and so they know a lot of people and they've been doing this for years but it's just as bad this year a lot of new floridians came down here people want to move out of closed states 
So you go to the Weather Channel to get an update on the cone of uncertainty, they call it. And in between updates on the cone of uncertainty, they show you all the videos from all the hurricanes that I've lived through in the last 20 years of all the times we've gotten our ass kicked. So the people who are new to hurricanes get scared and go out and panic buy. They're, they play all the scary stinger music when in between commercial breaks, and they're showing the, like, the worst damage from Hurricane Charlie, the worst damage. It's like, can you just show the the cone and then here's some puppies <laughs> you know why do you gotta hit them over the head with all the horrible the crap from you know all the hurricanes of past but uh yeah like like i said i'm north of fort myers when i left work today the cone my business that i work at in cape coral is outside the cone my house is with inside the cone and uh Four hours from the time I got off of work, put up my hurricane shutters. Now all of Fort Myers in the cone. So it's actually going west and south. So originally it was going to scoot past us and hit Naples, but now it's coming It's coming more southwest, and we're more and more into the cone and the thick of it. Hopefully, if um, projections stay the way they were, earlier today they were saying by the time it hit us, it was going to downgrade to a Cat 1 or a Cat 2. Which cat one, cat two, not a big deal. But I just hope Charlie hit us was a cat five, I think. I'm, I'm hoping this thing will hit us as a, uh, as a five. If it's a one or two or even a three, okay, it's a rain event. I've been through enough hurricanes. And I'm not worried about my house. Um, ever since Hurricane Hugo, I think it was, or Hurricane Andrew. When Hurricane Andrew hit the Florida in the 80s, they had to completely redesign the building codes. Because everything was wood, just like in Texas or Ohio or Kentucky. You know, everything was just wood and strapped and nailed together. My house and all the houses built down here since then, my house, all the walls, exterior walls are built with cinder block. They have rebar running through them and then filled with concrete. So all of our houses are basically, with the exception of the roof, which is wood trusses, but they have uh, Simpson straps. And like my garage door, you know, when you look at your panel in your garage door, you got horizontal beams to to make the structure of each panel in your garage door. Ours have an extra horizontal beam going through each panel to provide um, rigidity because what happens is it's once once your wall window breaks, garage door pushes in, or your bed, once you get your exterior shell ruptured and the wind can reach in and grab the roof from underneath, that's when you lose your roof. And so that's why you want hurricane shutters. Yes, it's nice to protect your glass, but it's usually when a window breaks and the wind gets in, that's when you lose your roof. And so mm-hmm. everything's reinforced down here. And so with the exception of maybe you losing some shingles, I think the biggest concern for us is going to be flooding and or property damage to our vehicles, coming out and finding our cars just effed up from flying debris and missiles because, you know, we all have garages, but most of our garages are just full of crap. Can you find you a good parking deck somewhere and just leave it there? No, my neighborhood floods on a good day, so um, I might need my Tundra to get out of here anyhow. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. I was laughing. Our, our housing market is so ridiculous. I bought my house in 2016. They're asking 210 I bought it for 198 The house across the street from me just sold for $420,000 because... The housing market is so inflated. And I'm laughing thinking, someone just built a house for $420,000 in a neighborhood that has no city water, no sewage, meaning, I'm sorry, no, we have sewage, but no, we all have, um, we all have, um, not cisterns, but um, we have places for our crap to go, uh, septic tanks, but we don't have any um, 
sewer system like for rain run runoff. You know, we don't have pipes going underneath our streets. And so on a regular day, it rains, our power goes out here. And I'm thinking that it's so inflated down here. Somebody's going to spend that kind of money in a neighborhood that has no drainage. Our power goes out on a Wednesday when it just thunders. So I, I know I'm going to lose power, but the question is how long is it going to be for this time? But if we have a show Monday, that means um, I have power. If we don't have a show Monday, that means I'm still without power. So we'll see how it plays out. But, um, you know, something exciting to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> Well, uh, you had mentioned about the airmail. I thought that was interesting because I'll have to see if my dad can dig it out. His great uncle, I guess, would be my great great uncle. Mm -hmm. And and I've only found a little bit of information on the Internet. His name was Fred Schwamley. And he was still alive uh, when my dad was uh, a, a kid, you know, youngest in the 50s and 60s. And he flew the first mail plane from Atlanta, Georgia. To Jacksonville, Florida. Nice. It was, uh, I want to say it was a Curtis Jenny. Um, and that's what he did his whole career. He, I think he ended up flying DC fours at the end of his career, but yeah. And my dad had kind of told me some stories about it. He said, you know, you're up there and it's like raining and it's dark and you, get, you know, in a biplane, <laughs> Curtis Jenny, you know, just that it's incredible to think about mail that way. Um, you know, and, and still I had to pay, you know, an arm and a leg to mail something to Ottawa mm-hmm. and ain't nobody out there in a double winger with canvas wings biplane, you know, flying through a storm either. Well, the crazy thing was the PBYs too, <laughs> we'll get to it next week. They were canvas as well. And that the canvas was hand stitched onto the wing, literally hand stitched. And then they put a chemical on it that caused the, the canvas to tighten up. Yeah. It, they call it it's a it's a dope yeah you dope the linen and it yeah it actually shrinks and hardens it's how all the aircraft but the were fact that the during war manufacturing we still had people hand stitching the shit together right. <laughs> right it wasn't even done assembly line it got the thimble and the heavy cage twine and the you think your hands hurt after typing all day could you imagine being that poor woman or poor dude after yeah. stitching a pby together all damn day Oh, it's yeah. just craziness. Yeah. So uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. We're only about 15 minutes shy than our normal time. But uh, before we wrap it up, you guys got anything down coming down the pike you guys want to plug? Jeff? No, I'm good. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm good. Nothing? Uh, yeah, this this coming Saturday, I will be in Corsicana, Texas. It's about three hours See, from three here. I got fast. asked to speak at uh so liberty jump team mm-hmm. is the team that goes all over normandy and we've talked to some guys yep. from liberty we've had them on our podcast before uh they asked me to speak at the vfw there in course can it's kind of their end of their their annual training so they started yesterday i think they started yesterday and then they wrap up saturday you know training people to to to, to jump out of the aircraft static line and it's a week-long uh, training that, that, that they do annually. And, uh, yeah, I had the opportunity to go last year and I just couldn't had a scheduling conflict. So, uh, he asked me again and, um, I, I'm just so honored to, to be able to go up there and, uh, talk, um, going to talk a little bit about, you know, my time in the service and of course, what's the scuttlebutt and what I'm doing now. And, and then I'm going to kind of, you know, spin that into a little bit of a recruiting tool, <laughs> uh, cause we've been, We've had guys from our squadron going up uh, about an hour from here 
two, three times a week because we were donated a C-47 and we've, we were wow. trying to get it airworthy. And so that's been the big effort the past few months to, uh, to get this thing airworthy, to fly it back down here to burn it where it belongs. Um, and it's already rigged for static line jumping. So that's going to really be really nice to have another guinea bird back in the squadron since we lost our other back in uh, 2018, I guess it was now. Um, so I've got that coming up this weekend. And like I said, looking forward to that. Uh, and, uh, other than that, you know, World War II related, I'm reading and I'm buying crap on eBay. <laughs> oh, your wife is now. She's ticked up. my wife is. Either way, it's good. <laughs> no, it's good. No. Well, you know, the downside is that she's going to start looking around your, your office and realizing he's been lying to me. This stuff costs a lot more than he said he paid for. <laughs> What's the old saying? My biggest fear is I'm going to die. My wife's going to sell my guns for what I told her I paid for them. <laughs> right. No, I mean it. You know me, guys. You know me long enough. I don't, I don't pay sticker price on this stuff. I no. mean, a lot of it just kind of finds me, and and you know, just like it's found you guys. It, it's it's part of our the fabric of our DNA, and and people know that. And uh, as people move on from the the subject, or people pass on mm. that have collected it over the years, it doesn't take long in a small town like mine uh, to figure out you know who the people are that would appreciate it. Um, or, you know, if, if I don't have a use for it, it goes to the museum or if the museum doesn't have a use for it, I find a home somewhere else and, and, you know, make sure that it's, it's passed on and it's passed on to the right home. And that's, that's what we do. And you kind of hit on something that's very relevant. And I think for a lot of us who get gears and headlong into this hobby at a certain point, kind of the fun is. You know, you might find something cool that you like, but you get to a point where you won't pay full freight. And so part of the fun is getting that item that someone was sleeping on or, you know, oh, yeah, there's a lot going on in the world. I went on eBay. No one was on there. And I got this in one helmet for a steal or I got this item for something. I've bid on 300 of these damn things and they've always gone out in my price range. I finally got one for a steal. And it, that in and of itself becomes part of the passion, too. It's like, OK, yeah, I know what this stuff is, but now getting one for something that for a price or less than what you want to pay for it. That's even more fun. Absolutely. That, that the thrill and the hunt there. And, you know, I never care about what anything's worth because when it comes to this stuff, I'm not selling it. So, you know, it's, it's coming into the, to my collection and I don't care what it's worth. Um, it's there. not going anywhere. And uh, a lot of times, you know, I've traded a little bit, but most times, I come across something and I know that there's somebody that would really appreciate it. Here you go. I was you just, know. I was just thinking the same thing. There's been many old times where I've been through a flea market, a thrift store, an antique store. And I've come across something that was cheaper than the reproduction. Something I already had multiples of, and it was cheap enough. It's like, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to take this to the next event and I'm going to sell it to somebody for what I paid. I'm not going to mark it up, but I'm just, this thing is so cheap. And yeah. somebody out there is looking for it, but they're not living in the town that has the, the antique shop. And I've done that a few times where I've got an event coming up three months down the road, and I'll be walking. Oh, I've, I found um, musette bags. I found haversacks at, flea mar- at the Fort Myers Flea Market that the ones I had were in better shape, but they were cheaper than a reproduction. And I just took them down to the event and sold them for exactly what I paid for them and just made people happy. It's because just getting it out there, finding stuff for right. people you know has been looking for something. And that's yeah, the other thing. you'll find a lot of times, 
you know, to give somebody something, they're going to hang on to it because they're going to appreciate it more than if they buy it, then they may be a little bit more tempted to get their money back or mm -hmm. upsell it. But yeah, a lot of times you just trade or, Hey, I know you'll appreciate this. And it was given to them. It, it seems that they tend to, to hang on to it longer. So yeah. Um, I don't do it so much now, but when I worked in radio, I had a, a, a decent drive from my shop to the radio. And one of my favorite antique shops was right in between. So if I had some time to kill, I would stop. And there'd be times I'd walk through there and I'd see some that I didn't have an interest in. But I'd oh, so-and-so's in the Navy stuff. Ooh, so-and-so. And so I'd take, take a picture saying, here's the price. Is this something you want? And I'd pick it up for them and, and hook them up for them. Because once again, not everybody has antique shops or locations that have that sort of stuff available to them. And so you kind of help them out. And yeah. it also kind of makes it more fun. Oh, yeah. Henry, you got any uh, final remarks before we wrap up this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast? No, I just it, uh, it's always a pleasure talking. I've enjoyed the conversation as always. Well, I just want to apologize to our audience. It's been a long day, and I'm tired, and our, US, uh, and our Typhoon Cobra got a little askew and awry there because, well, Anyhow, didn't have much stuff in place. But anyhow, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. Thank you guys for continuing to hang out with us each and every week. And thank you for letting us know that you're angry when we don't put on a live show because that makes us know that you guys really enjoy what we do. And so we try to keep them all coming. And even if we're not here live, we always find we have such great content in our catalog. And there's so many new listeners that I know when we put up a redeployment episode, it'll be new to somebody. And saying thank you guys so much for your continued support. If you want to help the show, please head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com or D-410.com. Click on that Patreon link, sign up and subscribe. It'll only cost you a dollar a month. That goes a long way to support the show. And while you're there, please head over to YouTube and like and subscribe. You can watch us do our live stream every Monday. So if you usually listen to this and you're car that's fantastic if you want to check out a little bit of the live stuff every monday we're live every monday at 9 30 eastern time but until then for myself jeff copsetta and henry sledge we will talk to you all next week assuming my house is still here and i have power but until then thank you guys this has been a digital 410 production <laughs>